I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Episode 69 coming to you live here tonight. As always, I am Zach Follador, joined by my co-host and partner in crime. He survived a five-hour weather delay on Saturday (laughs) in an ECU game, emerged unscathed on the other side. Steve Helwick. Steve, how you doing, man? Have you caught up on sleep after that marathon on Saturday? I have not. I've been (laughs) up until like 3 a.m. each night cranking out previews for the sites i had my buffalo bowling green one go up earlier this week yeah and there's only that's the only game this weekend for maction so it's going to be the slowest maction weekend of the year but there's a lot of other things going on and then the mac takes center stage tuesday night and we're going to have some midweek games coming to us so it's always a fun time of year when we hit november it really is. It's a beautiful thing. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, big game down in Houston this weekend. Are you covering Houston SMU? I'm covering two games this weekend. Rice okay. North Texas is at one and Houston SMU is at six. So this is a bucket list item for me. Two college wow. football games in one day. And yeah, it's both Dallas area teams visiting Houston. So I'm excited for both of those games. So, so North Texas Rice kicks at one, probably finishes up around four. How far, what, what is the drive from Rice oh, Stadium? To it's nothing. It's like 10 minutes. Oh, okay. Okay. Got, gotcha. 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 Nice. Well, anyway, got that out of the way. Uh, as you said, Steve, interesting time of year. Great time of year. We got midweek match and starting this week. Uh, a, a quick programming note. So this week is a little bit unique because we got one Mac game on Saturday with Buffalo and Bowling Green. We got the rest of the games uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. So we're recording here. We're releasing this episode on Friday as usual to cover all those games. But next week uh, we'll we'll be recording uh, like on on probably Monday evening, and then all the games are Tuesday and Wednesday nights. So that's like uh, on that'll be like Tuesday, November 9th. Look for that episode that week. Just a quick programming note there but before we get to any previews here tonight steve uh we had a heck of a week in the mac uh this past saturday performances of the week who do you got i have rocky lombardi of northern illinois the week prior northern illinois beat bowling green they're still perfect in mac play and rocky lombardi in that bowling green win went four for eight for 38 passing yards it looked like the huskies were fully committing to the run game lombardi had had great passing performances recently He comes out against Central Michigan, goes 17 of 27 for 348 yards and three touchdowns. He's just airing it out to Tyrese Ritchie and Trayvon Rudolph. Those two also get in my performances of the week just because those two receivers had 160 and 147 receiving yards. They were completing big play after big play. And NIU just looked like a downfield passing attack for once. And the Huskies played somewhat of a different style game while still succeeding in the run. And they beat Central Michigan 39 to 38. And the Huskies had some good two-point conversions in there. And they needed every single one of those points to leave Mount Pleasant with a victory and stay unscathed in that play. How about that comeback? 
from Northern Illinois. And, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you meant, you mentioned Trayvon Rudolph. How about six receptions, 160 yards, two touchdowns, 26.7 yards per reception. What a game I felt, you know, I've, I've kind of felt bad for those Northern Illinois receivers all year because you had, you know, you had Tyrese Ritchie led the Mac in receiving yards last year, and they've kind of scaled back the passing attack this a little bit this year. Uh, but I think this is something I said on the show last week, the fact that Northern Illinois was able to kind of change their offensive identity to take advantage of central Michigan's weakness in the secondary that to me, if I'm another Mac team, that's a scary thing, knowing that Northern Illinois, they're going to run the ball on you. They might not always want to pass the ball, but they proved on Saturday they can pass the ball when they want to. Uh, Rocky Lombardi, easily his best game of his Huskies career, 17 for 27, 348 yards, three touchdowns. The Huskies now 4-0 and in the Mac. It's a great choice there, Stephen. Uh, that, that was one of the ones I had on my list here as well. For my performance of the week, though, I'm going to go, I'm going to give some credit to a team that I feel like is, is underappreciated right now. How about Eastern Michigan? I know they were playing Bowling Green, but they go into Bowling Green. They just throttle the Falcons 55 to 24. They get a, a punt block return for a touchdown. Ben Bryant, 20 for 26, 286 yards, two touchdowns. I got to be honest, Steve, I, I wish this team, like I wish Eastern Michigan could run the ball a little bit better. I like Samson Evans and Darius Boone both as running backs, and uh, I, I wish they would get a, them a little bit more involved. But other than that, I really like this Eastern Michigan team. I At the beginning of the year, I would have never guessed that Ben Bryant was going to be the guy. I really thought Preston Hutchinson was going to continue to develop as a starting quarterback, but they haven't missed a beat. I like what I see from this defense, the the front seven there with, with Teran Rush and uh, and Terry Myrick and, and some of those guys there on the front seven. I really like this Eagles team. They got a big game coming up against Toledo this week. I, I really like what I've seen from Chris Creighton's squad this year. Yes, and I think that the next thing that we usually go into is the disappointing performances of the week. And I'm going to flip that and say the Bowling Green defense. Yeah. I was hyping this defense up earlier in the season. I mean, we saw them beat Minnesota 14 to 10 and limit the Gophers to what a five of 13 performance through the air quarterbacks. I think three of the first four quarterbacks that play this Bowling Green defense finished with 50% or lower in their completion percentage. Quarterbacks were posting way below their season averages against this Falcon defense and Bowling Green fielded one of the best passing defenses in the country. Still, I think they're ranked number 10, but they had some issues and they have really struggled ever since that Akron game. Bowling Green's allowed 35 points to Akron, 34 to NIU, and 55 to Eastern Michigan. All three teams getting well above their season average in those games. And Ben Bryant and the Eagles were just able to pass the ball with, with no issue on that Bowling Green defense, completing 25 of 32 passes as a collective unit for four touchdowns and over 300 yards. Bowling Green isn't getting to the quarterback like they used to. They're not defending passes as well as they used to. And they went from giving up 10 points to Minnesota on the road to giving up 55 to Eastern Michigan at home. Bowling Green's, I thought they flipped the switch. They Right now, they look like the same old Bowling Green that we've seen ever since Dino Babers left in 2015. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It really seems like they're starting to, to regress to the mean. Uh, this that was They were actually, Bowling Green was my disappointing performance of the week as well. Uh, I could give a, a secondary uh, shout out to Central Michigan for that that collapse against Northern <laughs> Illinois, but but I, I still think with Bowling Green, the thing that's so disappointing to me about Bowling Green, Steve, is that you know they get that huge win against Minnesota, and then even after that, that next week they follow that up with a very 
they didn't win the game, but they were very, very competitive against Kent State that next week. And obviously Kent State, you know, they're three and one in the East uh, tied atop the division. So even that, even though it was a loss, that was another impressive performance to me that said, okay, this Bowling Green team is really, really improving. And since then, it's just been all downhill. You mentioned the loss to Akron. Uh, they really, you know, the, I think that final score against Northern Illinois a couple weeks ago was deceiving. That game wasn't that close. And then this one here against uh, Eastern Michigan, you know, even in, in this at the start of this game, I mean, Eastern Michigan was really kind of trying to hand this game to Bowling Green. It was three nothing after the first quarter because Hassan Badoon, uh, you know, um, fumbled a punt and gave Bowling Green the ball on Eastern Michigan's 10 yard line. Bowling Green could only get a field goal out of that. And then after that, Eastern Michigan just kind of put the pedal to the floor and there was no looking back. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, really disappointing to see what's happened to Bowling Green here over the last month. And I think if you were to talk to, you know, when we were talking at the end of the September, it seemed like the team was progressing enough to the point where, you know, Scott Leffler had probably earned himself another year starting to see some speculation whether or not he's the right guy again. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens here for Bowling Green over uh, the remainder of this season. But, yeah, not not a good performance from the Falcons on Saturday against uh, against Eastern Michigan. Uh, they were only a three-point underdog in that game, ended up losing by 31. So, not a great look there. Uh, elsewhere in the MAC this weekend, uh, other than that, we, so we had, yeah, Eastern Michigan 55-24 over Bowling Green, Northern Illinois 39-38 with the comeback over Central Michigan. Uh, Kent State – uh, pulls out a 34-27 victory over Ohio. Miami goes on the road as a five-and-a-half-point underdog and knocks off Ball State in the Redbird rivalry, 24-17. Toledo, 34-15 over Western Michigan. There's another honorable mention for performance of the week. How about that Toledo defense uh, on Saturday against the Broncos? And then Buffalo went down to Akron, and uh, Akron didn't look great in this one, 45 10 uh, Buffalo won this one as an 11-point road favorite. So Akron uh, at the bottom of the East standings now with only the win over Bowling Green. So uh, let's take a look here at our games we got coming up here over the next week here, Steve. Uh, one, one more note for our listeners out there. We're, we're recording here on Thursday night, so uh, the, the, the lines and the totals for the Tuesday-Wednesday games haven't been released just yet. But that'll be readily available here within the next couple of days. So we won't be able to give that to you, but we're still going to break down all the games here, obviously. Uh, let's start with our lone Saturday game here on, on the slate this week. Go ahead, Steve. Before we go to next week, yeah, I, I, I need to address something. Is Northern Illinois Central Michigan our game of the year so far? Because I think it was. That game was thrilling from start to finish. It was. It was 20-plus yard plays both offenses and it ended on something I don't think I've ever seen before. I don't think I've ever seen a field goal snapped like that on a game winning field goal where the kicker had nothing to kick. Yeah. I mean, you've seen over snapped punts and stuff before, but I don't think I've seen a field goal where the kicker just sits there and has to watch the ball fly past him and he doesn't have anything to kick. So that was an intriguing ending. And I know last year we had Toledo, Western Michigan, Western Michigan ball state thrilling off the rails, chaotic endings. We haven't had one of those this year, but I think that takes the cake for the most chaotic moment of the Mac this year and the best Mac game this year, because I had a lot of fun watching that game and it was decided by an NIU game winning field goal in the last minute as well. Couldn't agree more. And, and how about, how about uh, another shout out for performance of the week? How about, how about freshman Northern Illinois kicker, Kanan Woodle coming in his first three uh, field goal attempts of his career, knocked down all three of them. Over a thousand yards of offense in that game, Steve. Five hundred forty-eight for Northern Illinois, five hundred for Central Michigan, 
three touchdowns in that game of over 60 yards. So I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. Uh, it was a, definitely the game of the year so far in the Mac. And uh, it was, it was, a, it was a great one. If any, if you have ESPN plus, you can go on online and, and watch the, the replay of it because there were a lot of fireworks in that one. So um, yes, great, great, uh, great point there, Steve. Uh, now let's, let's get to this week here. We got week nine slash week 10 on the slate here. Uh, our only Saturday game, we got Bowling Green and Buffalo. Bowling Green traveling up to Buffalo. They're a 13-and-a-half-point underdog in this one. Total set at 52. Uh, this one kicks Saturday at noon on CBS Sports Network. Uh, Kevin Marks uh, of Buffalo has missed the last two games. They do expect to have him back this week. Um, we talked about the Bowling Green defense definitely coming off their worst performance of the season. Eastern Michigan, 455 total yards of offense. 325 through the air. Uh, Buffalo coming off possibly their best performance of the year. It was against Akron, but 484 yards of offense. Kyle Van Trees, 15 of 20, 241 yards, three touchdowns. Steve, it feels like these are two teams going in uh, opposite directions here. How, how you see this one playing out? That's what I feel. And it was, it was nice for Buffalo fans to have their first comfortable win of the year against an FBS opponent. They had that week one domination against Wagner of the FCS. But their only other two wins were beating Old Dominion by one point because of a missed extra point and also beating Ohio on a comeback where they won 27 to 26 on an Alex McNulty game winning field goal. So Buffalo finally had the comfortable win that they were used to back in the Jarrett Patterson, Lance Lightbold era. And they dominated Akron. And a lot of it was by means of the ground. Dylan McDuffie, he became the number one back when Kevin Marks went out with injury. And I think you got to keep riding the hot hand with McDuffie, but also work Kevin Marks back in the mix because we know what he's capable of. So I think Buffalo's running games in great shape now. And it's always great to run into Bowling Green when you're running games performing like this, because the past few years, the Bulls have obliterated Bowling Green on the ground. Jarrett Patterson had 301 rushing yards and four touchdowns against Bowling Green last year. He had 298 the year before. So two years in a row where Bowling Green's rushing defense has been completely hapless against the Bulls. While Bowling Green has a bit of a better rushing defense this year than last year, I still don't think the unit's strong enough to handle a team like Buffalo. I just think you have to look at how the Falcons handled NIU a few weeks ago when NIU just threw eight passes on them. And the Huskies ran all over them with Jay Ducker, Rocky Lombardi, and the crew. So I think Buffalo can be capable of doing the same. I don't think they'll need to air it out much on this team. But I said Bowling Green does have a top 10 pass defense still. And I'd say the weaker part of their defense is a run game. So I think Buffalo just needs to test its strengths against this team. And I think the Bulls can cruise to their third straight victory and get back in above 500 for the first time since the early portion of the season. Yeah, you uh, you took the words out of my mouth there and talking about this, you know, looking back at that Northern Illinois game, you mentioned how, you know, Bowling Green's defense has improved this year. And we talked at the beginning of the show how it seems like they're, they're starting to regress. You look at that Northern Illinois box score, the Huskies, 59 carries, 319 rushing yards against Bowling Green a couple weeks ago, 5.4 yards per carry. If I'm Mo Linguist, I just I throw on that Northern Illinois tape and I say, hey, guys, here's our game plan. Here, here's you know, I think this feels like a game to me where Kyle Van Treese might not have to throw even 10 passes. And I think Buffalo's fine with that. I think especially with Kevin Marks coming back, you got uh, Dylan McDuffie is really playing at a high level right now. He's coming off of another good game, 23 carries, 111 yards and a touchdown. The other reason in this game that I really uh, I, I don't see Bowling Green 
uh, staying competitive in this one. There's been issues. The, the Falcons have had issues with turnovers here, and Buffalo forced four turnovers against Akron last week. Uh, this, to me, Steve, honestly, uh, it's not very often I would say that uh, two touchdowns doesn't feel like enough in a MAC conference game, but I don't see how B Bowling Green keeps this game within the number here. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think do you think Bowling Green keeps this one close? Or do you think Buffalo runs away? I think Buffalo runs away. Bowling Green hasn't been able to generate enough offense recently to keep up with teams. Although I'll have to say that their last four games, which have all been losses, have been their four highest scoring outputs against FBS competition this season, mm. which is an interesting nugget, but still. Bowling Green's been playing from way behind in these games, and they're they're kind of just scoring to play catch-up, it feels like. Their passing attack hasn't been as crisp as it was early in the season. Uh, more desperation attempts, more interceptions we're seeing from the Falcons, and less efficiency. The run game has improved a little bit during the passing game's regression, but it still hasn't posted enough remarkable numbers for me to have belief in Bowling Green to get things going. I think I put a final score like 31 to 13 in my preview, which I, I think sounds reasonable. I mean, I picked it, but I think Buffalo's <laughs> running game is going to have enough force to assert their will on Bowling Green, and I don't think the offense is going to be able to respond on the Buffalo defense, which has done pretty well for the most part this year. We saw what Buffalo did against Coastal, against Western Michigan. They, they hold teams below their season average on the regular. So I think Buffalo's defense can keep Bowling Green in check with pr pretty much ease. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, so Bowling Green traveling up to Buffalo to take on the Bulls uh, uh, Saturday at noon on CBS Sports Network. Buffalo at 13 and a half point favorite in that one. The total set at 52. Let's move into our weeknight games here. It's the most wonderful time of the year if you're a Mac fan. We've got the, the national spotlight on the conference on Tuesday and Wednesday nights here the next couple weeks moving forward. It's a beautiful time of the year. Let's start with our games coming up here on Tuesday evening, Steve. First off, we got Ball State traveling to InfoCision Stadium, take on the Akron Zips. Uh, this one kicks Tuesday at 7 o'clock, nationally televised on CBS Sports Network. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, Cardinals looking to bounce back after that 24-17 loss to Miami, broke their uh, three-game win streak last week. Uh, much like Bowling Green, I feel like Akron is also coming off possibly their worst performance of the year. A really tough game for DJ Irons. He had four turnovers with you know one interception and three fumbles. They were outgained by uh, 180 yards. Uh, John Zell Norris, the running back from Akron, was a bright spot. 11 carries, 155 yards, and a touchdown. That was included in there was a 70-yard touchdown run. Here's the thing, though, Steve. Akron currently 11th in the MAC in pass defense, 217.8 yards per game. Ball State, obviously, we know we their you know their talent on the outside is well documented with Johannes Tyler and Justin Hall and Jay Sean Jackson. Ball State has still struggled to run the ball here a little bit. Uh, another rough outing on the ground last week, but it feels like the Cardinals' passing attack is really going to be able to go after this Akron secondary. What do you think? Yes, I think that Ball State gets back on track with a win here. Miami's a talented team, and Ball State lost to them for the second straight year just by a touchdown. And I think that Ball State's going to have a rebound week here. Drew Plitt didn't play terribly last week. I mean, he had a chance to tie the game at the end through that interception where Sterling Weatherford jumped the route in the end zone. But Ball State's inability to establish the run last week was their biggest issue. And it's been a recurring issue for a lot of the season. And when they finally got it going in that Eastern Michigan game, that's when Ball State's offense really started cooking. They had 38 yeah. points that game when Carson Steele had 138 yards. 
And I think that they'll be able to run the ball a little better on Akron. I mean, Akron's run defense is among the lower echelon in college football. They haven't been able to stop teams easily this year. So I think that Ball State's offense is going to get it back on track this week. And I think we're going to see a similar result to the Buffalo versus Akron final score. Akron hasn't had as good of QB play recently as they had early in the year, just seven of 19 last week. And while they were able to move the ball on the ground, their offense only generated 10 points. I think they're best when they're getting the ball to Kanata Mumpfield, who is a really talented breakout receiver in the Mac. They weren't able to do so last week and Akron cannot handle pressure at all. They allow the most yeah. sacks in college football. And last week they allowed 11. And here, here's, here's your stat of this podcast is, Akron allowed 11 sacks to Buffalo last week. That is the most in FBS since 2019 when Miami, Ohio generated 12 sacks on Akron. So, <laughs> oh man, it's becoming uh, an Akron trend just to have poor offensive line play. I think Ball State, with all those linebackers that they have, the best linebacking core in the MAC, I think they'll be able to get some of the pressure up on this offensive line. And I don't think this game's going to be particularly close. Man, that is a heck of a stat there about the Akron line. And and you're you know what I didn't you know I don't I don't have I didn't know the stats behind it, but just watching Akron games, they get bullied on both sides of the ball in the trenches. And I think that's it's kind of a shame because if you look at their roster as a whole, I really like some of the skill position talent that Tom Arth has brought on the campus. They got Three quarterbacks who have played really well. You mentioned Kanata Mumfield, John Zell Norrell's true freshman running back who looks good, but they just, they cannot block to save their lives. They can't pressure the quarterback to save their lives. And that makes life hard. That makes life hard when you're trying to win football games. And if you can't block successfully, if you can't give your running backs room to run, your offense is going to suffer from it. And obviously that that's been the case uh, for, for the zips here. I think with ball state, I, I, they're, they're offensively, their, their philosophy is, is a little bit odd to me. I look at their box score and, you know, looking back and watching the Miami game on Saturday, Carson Steele, 11 carries 49 yards, 4.5 yards per carry. Will Jones, seven carries 31 yards, 4.4 yards per carry. If you're going to give me four and a half yards per carry, I'll take that. But you're only giving your, your top two running backs a combined 18 carries in that game. I'd like to see them try and establish the run a little bit more with their running backs. And obviously, as, as we've talked about before, they do some of those jet sweeps with Justin Hall, which is obviously another extension of the run game there. But I'd still like to see the Cardinals try and, and establish the run a little bit more than they have here over the last couple of weeks. And I think this could be the week that they're able to do it. You know, Akron... The, 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 the stats on defense are bad all around, but, you know, in the run game, 217 yards per game, they give up on the ground. 5.8 yards per carry Akron gives up on the ground. That is last in the MAC. I agree with you, Steve. This, this feels like a, a similar outcome to what the, the Zips experienced uh, this past weekend against Buffalo. I don't see them having a ton of success in this one. Curious to see who they trot out as the starting quarterback this week. Zach Gibson started uh, the game against the Bulls on Saturday. Didn't have any success through two drives. They inserted DJ Irons into the game. He didn't have any success either, but they stuck with him. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, this one, again, this one kicks Tuesday at 7 o'clock on CBS Sports Network there uh, at uh, InfoCision Stadium in Akron. Uh, Tuesday at 7.30 on ESPNU, we got Miami traveling to Ohio, the Battle of the Bricks, one of the most storied rivalries in the MAC. Great performance last week. You mentioned the Miami defense, Steve. 
Uh, two turnovers, 327 yards against Ball State in that 24-17 win. How about this, Steve? This is a crazy stat that I saw. Ohio obviously wants to run the ball, but this Miami rush defense allowing 2.3 yards per carry in Mac play. This run defense has been really good since Mac play started. That to me is going to be kind of the story of this game. Ohio, they keep hanging around in these games. They're, they're playing close. It's not like they're getting blown out. They just can't get over the hump. Feels like this Ohio run game against this Miami run defense, to, at least to me, is the story of this game. Brett Gabbard back for uh, the Red Hawks last week, went 20 for 24, 20, 270 yards and two touchdowns. What do you see here, Steve? I see a very close game that's probably going to get decided by a field goal. As tempted as I am to pick Ohio, I think Miami's offense just looks smooth with Brett Gabbard at quarterback. And you saw a lot of great throws from him last week. He finished 20 of 24, and he was very composed on any critical play. There was a fourth and 10 conversion late on Miami's go-ahead drive where he hit Jack Sorensen, and then he got the two-point conversion in the end zone too. Uh, So I think that Brett Gabbert was really good on all his clutch throws last week, and Jack Sorensen has really dominated recently for Miami. He is as good as any receiver in the MAC right now, which has a, a conference with a lot of good receiving talent where you have Sky Moore and Khalil Pimpleton. Jack Sorensen has three consecutive games with more, more than 110 yards. This is what he was playing like in 2020 when he accounted for what 50% of Miami's receiving production. So yeah. Sorensen, Hip and Hammer, that's a very good receiving core that they have there. And I like the tight ends that Miami has too. Just a lot of weapons all around. Still haven't figured out the running game, but I honestly think don't think they will need to exactly at the moment. Ohio, on the other hand, I like what I saw from Curtis Rourke last week. That probably was, even though he didn't throw a touchdown pass, that probably was his best showing as a Bobcat. Uh, He had 308 yards in the game. Isaiah Cox, a wide receiver that was pretty good for Ohio in the Nathan Rourke era. He kind of finally showed out of the woodwork this last week and had a very good game. There was one play where he just kept dodging defenders left and right. Uh, I reposted on the hustle bell account because it was just a tremendous play. I thought he put together. So it was nice to see Isaiah Cox come back after he had a pretty successful 2019 run. So I think, I think Ohio is trending in the right direction, whether it's Armani Rogers or Curtis Rourke, they're getting offensive success, but they just aren't finishing ball games, and that, that has been the issue lately. They had two games against Central Michigan and against Buffalo where they had fourth-quarter leads that were blown in the final minute. So I think that Ohio, they're going to play this game close, but I'm going to trust Miami just to make the one extra play and emerge on top in the Battle of the Bricks. This was a rivalry which really irritated Ohio during some of its best years in the Frank Solich era. They lost in yes. – 2019 and 2018 which prevented them from winning the mac which they haven't done since 1968 somehow which is one of the craziest stats to me in the mac the fact that ohio hasn't won since 1968 especially with how good they were uh throughout the entire frank solich era i believe i can't remember off the top of my head what they what they went to three mac championship games with Mac with solich or was it four either way they were oh and three or oh and four in mac championship mm-hmm. games and um yeah just like you know that the that kind of that close but no cigar mantra that they had and and you could apply that to this season as well with all the close losses they've had i was um i was intrigued and pleasantly surprised 
by Ohio's kind of shift in their offensive identity last week. Obviously kind of, you know, they're always more of a run first team, but here in this game, Curtis Rourke threw the ball 38 times. That's the, the most he's ever, most passing attempts for him in a single game in his entire career for 308 yards. And I, I love that you mentioned Isaiah Cox because we've been waiting for him to show up and I was happy to see him have himself a big day. And uh, I think to me, when I look at Miami, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is clearly, this is a different team with Brett Gabbert at quarterback. That's not, that's, that's nothing against AJ Mayer. He's, he's fine in and of himself, but you see the chemistry that Gabbert has, especially with, with Jack Sorensen, eight catches, 138 yards in this one, Jack Sorensen. Let me just also say this. He is just, he's just open all the time. He's an incredible route runner. He's great at finding the soft spots in the zone. I really love watching him play. He doesn't strike you. He's not one of those guys that, you know, he's not a burner. He's not going to beat you deep. He's not overly athletic. He's just a really good football player. Has a great feel for the game. I, I, I tend to agree with you on this one, Steve. Ohio, I well, both of these teams, I should say, kind of have this propensity to be in, in close games. Um, being at Ohio, it's a rivalry game. Ohio's still looking to, you know, they're still playing hard for Tim Albin here. I really like, uh, I, I like your assessment. I, th- I agree with you. This feels like a, you know, a three point game, four point game. I think Miami though, pulls this one out in the fourth quarter. I, I would agree with what you said there. This one kicks again, Tuesday, seven 30 on ESPNU. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Uh, also on Tuesday at 7.30, this one on ESPN2 nationally televised. We got Eastern Michigan taking on Toledo. That Toledo defense, what a performance on Saturday against Western Michigan, holding them under 400 yards of offense, generating two turnovers against the normally efficient Broncos defense, or Broncos offense, excuse me. We got another strength-on-strength matchup here, though, Steve. Eastern Michigan second in the MAC in passing offense, a little over 250 yards per game. Toledo second in pass defense. Uh, in the MAC, a little under, a little over 180 yards per game. Eastern Michigan, a little bit one-dimensional offensively. Can can the Rockets kind of play into that and force them to run the ball a little bit on the offensive side of the ball for the Rockets? Daquan Finn, he is officially QB one now. It's been two straight weeks where we have not seen Carter Bradley. Finn was only eight for 24 on Saturday, but he did have 138 yards and two touchdowns. Very nice. His one touchdown pass, especially to Danzel McKinley Lewis, a beautiful pass down the sideline there. This is an intriguing matchup to me here, Steve. Two teams looking to get back in the thick of things in the West Division, both two and two in the conference. How do you see this one playing out? Well, history would tell you that this one's going to play out in Toledo's favor. Since 2000, these teams have played 21 times. Toledo's won 19 of them. 
The only two times wow. Eastern Michigan won was 2006 and 2018, although they had a couple close ones in the Chris Creighton versus Jason Candle era, one decided by overtime in 2019. Eastern Michigan really hasn't had much of a stranglehold on the series, but I do think that I like the Eagles in this matchup just because of what the offense has been able to generate. And Toledo does have a good defense, and I say every week, that's the one constant Toledo has because yeah. you're not getting much out of this offense on a weekly yeah. basis. But this defense isn't going to allow 30 points. The only team that's done that this year on Toledo is Notre Dame, and Notre Dame's a top 15 team in the country. So, I mean, there, there have been games this year that Toledo lost where their defense completely showed up. Uh, Northern Illinois, Colorado State, even the Central Michigan game to an extent. So Toledo's defense is going to make things a little tougher on Eastern Michigan, and we've seen Eastern Michigan thrive in a low-scoring game before beating Miami, Ohio, 13-12 to 12 in, uh, in early October. So I think that Eastern Michigan is probably going to just get more points in a low-scoring game on this Toledo team because the Toledo team's offense is so erratic. Uh, last week they finished 8-24 of 24 passing. I mean, they, they completed a couple long balls, one to Danzel McKinley-Lewis for a touchdown, another to Bryce Mitchell for a touchdown, but there wasn't any consistency there, and I think that Eastern Michigan might have some success against Toledo's running attack, and if you can stop that, you can really stop the Toledo offense, and you just got to outscore them at that point and stay turnover-free, and I think Ben Bryant's been doing a really good job of doing those things lately. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think um, I, I haven't – this is one that I keep going back and forth on. I, I don't know who I'm going to pick in this game. I think the thing – I think you're, 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 what you said about Toledo is exactly correct. Their, their defense keeps them in every game. I just never know what I'm getting from them mm-hmm. offensively. Even last week, you know, they get, uh, they get the, the, the fumble return for a touchdown, accounts for one of their touchdowns. Western Michigan's other turnover gave the ball to the Rockets in Broncos territory. So, you know, th- this this Rockets offense, when they're asked to generate points on their own, they have shown that they they struggle a little bit. I mean, you look back at the the, uh, the you know the Colorado State game, and even in, you know even in the Ball State game, you know they only put up twenty two points in that game, with one of them being a long run from from DeQuan Finn. I just I never know what I'm getting from this team offensively, and that scares me a little bit. Eastern Michigan. Very, you know, they're they're right in the middle of the pack in terms of defense in the MAC. Well, I should say they're fifth in total defense, uh, seventh in pass defense, and and on on the ground they're giving up 184 yards a game on the ground, which is comes in sixth in the MAC. So I do feel like DeQuan Finn and Bryant Kobach can have some success against this Eastern Michigan defense. I am I the matchup that is really intriguing to me. I really want to see what this Eastern Michigan offense can do against this Toledo defense and this Toledo secondary. You know, Eastern Michigan obviously coming off their best performance of the year offensively uh, against Bowling Green. I think back a couple weeks though, and they only put up 20 points against Northern Illinois or 12. Or I'm sorry, 13 against Miami. I'm curious to see which Eastern Michigan offense shows up. I I am leaning towards Toledo only because of the home field advantage here, but I could see it going the other way as well. And uh, so I don't know. I, I I might have to flip a coin. When I'm picking this one here, Steve, I got to be honest with you. This one feels like the the uh, one of the closer matchups of the week. Although, uh, just up the road in uh, Kalamazoo, we got another uh, storied rivalry matchup: the the battle for the Victory Cannon. Central Michigan traveling to Waldo Stadium to take on Western Michigan. This is on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Similar to how uh, the the Rockets have dominated Eastern Michigan here recently, Steve, Western Michigan has won 8 of 10 in this series. Uh, both teams looking to bounce back after tough losses last week. 
How does Central Michigan bounce back from losing that game against Northern Illinois last week? Such a heartbreaker. And uh, Western Michigan, again, you know, they lost 34-15 to Toledo on Saturday. Central Michigan last in the MAC, 112th nationally in pass defense. They're giving up over 270 yards per game through the air. Can they slow down Caleb Ellaby in this passing attack? I think that, to me, is the question of this game. What do you see here, Steve? I see another Western Michigan victory and them taking home the cannon here. We saw how Western Michigan responded to their last loss against Ball State. Got crushed by 25 at home. They came back at Kalamazoo the next week and beat Kent State 64-31 to with their best showing of the 2021 season. I think Caleb Ellaby, I don't I, I can't see him having two down games in a row. And Central Michigan secondary is not very good. I mean, Northern Illinois was putting like 350 passing yards and three touchdowns on them a week ago with just big play after big play. And when you're talking about an explosive passing offense, I don't know if there's any team in the MAC I'd rather have than Western Michigan here when you have Sky Moore and Jalen Hall carrying the receiving game. And Sky Moore even had a pretty good game last week, one of the few Broncos to show out. And four of his last five games, actually, you know, scratch out, five out of his last six games, Sky Moore has had over 100 receiving yards. He's been a force all year for the Broncos. I see him having his way with the Central Michigan secondary, which hasn't which has struggled to contain opposing receivers. Same thing with Jalen Hall. Last year, Western Michigan was com- consistently getting big plays on the Chippewas defense with Dwayne Eskridge, and I see some of the same thing going on this year with the Broncos, and I think that they're going to coast to a pretty comfortable victory in Kalamazoo. Central Michigan does have some offense. I mean, Ja'Cory Sullivan and Khalil Pimpleton have been consistently good receivers all year, and Lou Nichols from the running back position. But from a defensive perspective, I just don't think I can trust them to get it done against the Western Michigan team, which I feel like is bound for 40 points or more in this one. You know, Central Michigan, to me, they feel like the opposite of Toledo. Like, their offense is going to keep them in every game, but, man, they can't stop anybody. And I think uh, an interesting matchup for me in this one, you know, we think about Central Michigan, you know, they're, they're leading the MAC in passing yards per game. Daniel Richardson has been great. But how about Lou Nichols here over the last couple of weeks? I mean, he's, he's topped 150 yards twice in the last three weeks. Not only does he lead the league in rushing yards, he has 919 yards rushing on the season. That's first in the MAC. That's fourth in the country for Lou Nichols. He's the fourth leading rusher in America right now with 919 yards. Really, really been a good season for him, uh, especially, you know, they've had, they've had some injuries on offense and, uh, and he's really kind of stepped up and, and picked up the load. So I think that to me, I, that I want to see what Lou Nichols can do against this Western Michigan run defense, this Western Michigan run defense. They're first in the Mac and rushing defense. They're only giving up 128 half yards per game. The other thing, and I've talked about it before on this podcast is that, as good as, as this Western Michigan defense has been this year, that, you know, they are, um, they are uh, first in the MAC in, in total defense. The pass defense has been prone to giving up the big play. They've given up six passing touchdowns of over 30 yards this year. Um, I feel like Khalil Pimpleton, Ja'Cory Sullivan, Dallas Dixon, you know, these are the, this is a type of team that can take advantage of that. You even saw last week with uh, Daniel Richardson, having a long touchdown pass to, to Khalil Pimpleton there, uh, a 70-plus yarder. So that is going to be an interesting uh, takeaway for me. I see a lot of points in this game. I do think Western Michigan pulls away. I agree with your assessment. 
I, I see it being, you know, maybe a 10 to 14 point game, but I think Central Michigan's offense is going to have some success here. I don't know what the total is going to be in this game when it comes out, but I would imagine it's going to be up in the 60s because these are two good offenses, and I don't see either defense uh, having much success in this game. We, we'll see what happens. Central Michigan, though, again, they're looking to get back uh, in the win column in this one after they have lost eight of the last 10 against the Broncos. Our last game of the, the, the uh, Week 10 slate here, we got a, another really interesting one, Steve. You, you mentioned Central Michigan, Northern Illinois from last week being potentially the game of the year in the MAC. This feels like one that has the potential to be up there with that as well. We got Northern Illinois, the leader in the West Division, 6-2 and two overall, 4-0 and oh in the MAC. They're traveling to Kent State to take on the Golden Flashes. Golden Flashes, uh, they are tied uh, atop the East Division with Miami. Both of them sit at 3-1. and one. This is a, a, a tale of two uh, high-powered offenses and two defenses that are struggling a little bit a lot right now, Steve. Even Northern Illinois, you know, uh, we haven't we don't talk about their defense much because their their offense has been so surprising. But I mean, they're giving up, you know, 420 yards per game, uh, you know, almost 200 yards on the ground per game. This feels like another kind of high scoring Mac shootout with a ton of fireworks on Wednesday night. What do you think you see in this one? I don't know how high scoring it's going to be. I mean, Kent State's offense hasn't really replicated what they did in 2020 yet. I mean, they, sure. they beat Ohio 34 to 27, Bowling Green 27 to 20. The one time I saw their offense fully clicking this year was that game against Buffalo where Dustin Crum had a career high in passing yards and Dante Cephas went up. So I still want to see more out of this Kent State offense because I know what they're capable of when they're clicking on all cylinders. And I just don't think that we saw that last week against Ohio. They, they did have 31 points in the middle of the third quarter, but they just weren't able to finish strong in the fourth quarter they let Ohio kind of come back in that game so yeah. I kind of want to see a little more out of Kent State's offense but Dustin Crum he's played efficient football lately it wasn't the best start for the season from him I remember he had two interceptions in that Texas A&M game and the first thing that went through my head is this guy's never had more than two interceptions in a season like yeah he's gonna shatter that this year he still hasn't thrown a pick since then so <laughs> Dustin Crum has done pretty well recently rebounding from that went 26 of 31 last week for 84% completion percentage. And most importantly, he was able to run the ball again. Dustin Crumb's most fun to watch when he was running the ball. He had 93 yards tying a season high last week on the Ohio defense. So I love when he's able to get his dual threat capabilities out on opposing defenses. And then Dante Cephas, the breakout player of the year, had another great game with 103 receiving yards. So Kent State's offense is definitely heading in the right direction. I'm not sure what type of Northern Illinois game we're going to get because there have been a, some games where they dragged opponents through the mud like that Toledo 22 to 20 win they had earlier in the season or the Eastern Michigan game with a huge delay 27 to 20. I think this one's probably going to finish in the 20s. Mm. I think it's going to be close, but I do like the Golden Flashes to win this game. NIU hasn't beat a team from the FBS by more than one score this year. And they're, they're I mean, they're playing in a lot of close games. I think one of the times are going to slip up, and this is not an easy schedule to finish the year for the Huskies. They have a lot of difficult opponents, uh, opponents coming up, so I think one of them's bound to snatch the Huskies, and I think that Kent State definitely has the offense, to, which will be able to do it. You know, I, I thought I was going to be out on an island be an innovator picking Kent State in this game. You beat me to it, though. I, you know what? I, I agree with you. It feels, it, you know what it feels like? It feels to me as if Northern Illinois is kind of like, um, 
I don't know the term I'm looking for, I mean, you know, playing with fire. Maybe they're, they're, they're scratching out all these close wins and they're four and oh, and they're feeling great about themselves. But I mean, one, they, you know, you win by one last week at central Michigan, you win by two against Toledo, you win by seven against Eastern Michigan in a game where Eastern Michigan, you know, gave the ball away two times in the first quarter of that game. And uh, you know, then, you know, the, the Huskies let them back into it after that. It, it feels like, all of these close games, it's going to catch up to Northern Illinois eventually. And I think this is going to be the, the week that it happens. Your point is also well taken about their, their final stretch of the season here. Obviously, they're sitting at 4-0 and on top of the West. Everyone else in the division is 2-2. Two and two, So they're going to need some help if they want to catch Northern Illinois. But when you look at Northern Illinois' uh, schedule here in November, you, get, you go to Kent this week, then you play Ball State at home, you go to Buffalo, and then you finish with Western Michigan at home. That is a tough four-game stretch there for the Huskies. I, I don't see them going undefeated by any stretch of the imagination through that stretch. I see them losing one, if not maybe two of those two games. I don't know. What, what do you think, Steve? You think is, is two losses too many to assume there? Or you think one is, is about right for the Huskies? I think Western Michigan wins the max still. I think that uh, yeah. NIU slips up against Kent State and Western Michigan gets that tiebreaker win and they both finish six and two in conference. I do like the Broncos winning out at the moment. You know who NIU reminds me of? And I hate to bring the, up this reference to you. There's a 2020 Pittsburgh Steelers to me at the moment where you're just eking out close win over close win and you're thinking, when's it going to catch up to them? When's it going to catch up to them? And then you remember <laughs> what happened at the end of the year. And yeah. I'm kind of when. I'm kind of scared that the same thing's going to happen to NIU when they start facing this high le higher level competition at the end of the year. I mean, none of those opponents that you just mentioned are below 500 and they're all capable of taking down the Huskies and they all might be favored over the Huskies actually when the Vegas lines come out, except for possibly Buffalo. So it's going to be an interesting finish for the end of the year, but this Mac West race is wide open. It's 2019 all over again. Yeah, I just uh, I just got flashbacks of Marquise Pouncey snapping the ball over Big Ben's head in the end zone there against the Browns. Yeah, that that's a very good uh, that's a very good comparison there though, Steve. I, I hear what you're saying, and yeah, it just it feels like I mean, Northern Illinois is undeniably the the most improved team in the conference, one of the best teams, top two or three teams in the conference this year, undeniably. Not not saying not taking anything away from them, but. You're right. They, it feels like they're they're on the brink of of giving one of these games away. They've had a lot of fortunate bounces here over the last couple of weeks. You mentioned the the botched snap that Central Michigan had at the end of that game uh, last week. That one easily could have gone against the Huskies. And honestly, if Northern Illinois would have lost that game against Central Michigan last week, I'd probably be more inclined to pick them here. But the fact that they pulled that game out, I, I feel like uh, Kent State's going to sneak up. Well, not sneak up on them, but I I do feel like Kent State. Is gonna is gonna come out on top of this one. That would be a big uh, big win for uh, the Flashes as well. Obviously, with them being tied with Miami at the top of the East Division at three and one. So that'll get us through uh, our Week Nine and Ten previews here of all of our our midweek action games. It's a beautiful time of year. We love love it when the MAC gets the national stage on on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Uh, so we got one game on Saturday with Bowling Green and Buffalo, and then Ball State and Akron, Miami and Ohio, and Eastern Michigan and Toledo all play next Tuesday night. Then we got Central Michigan, Western Michigan, and Northern Illinois, Kent State next Wednesday. It's a great time of year. Uh, Steve, let's take a look at the rest of the slate here, man. Always, always a, a fun thing to close the show. There's some interesting, interesting matchups this weekend. Uh, always love hearing what's on your radar. Uh, what, what are some? Uh, what are? What are you looking at this weekend? What are you looking at on Saturday? 
Well, to start, there are two great Big Ten games at 11 a.m. Yeah. 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern. And one of them is the Paul Bunyan Trophy. Both teams are in the top 10 right now. Michigan, Michigan State, always a fun game for the Mitten State. And Michigan State this year, the job Mel Tucker has done because I didn't think he was the right hire for them at first. Agree. Uh, coming off a five and seven season at Colorado. And I thought that was justified, that opinion last year. But the fact that Michigan State has completely turned it around, their offense looks better than ever. They're getting explosive plays from former Western Michigan receiver Jaden Reed, who leads a team in receiving, also has had two punt return touchdowns this year. And Jalen Naylor, those guys are getting big plays out each week. And Kenneth Walker, he belongs in the Heisman conversation. He's three yards shy of becoming, I believe, the first 1,000-yard running back Oh, Sean Tucker from Syracuse has done it in eight games so far. Okay, so Kenneth Walker could become the second 1,000-yard running back of the season for the Spartans. And they're going up against a Michigan team, which has only trailed, I think, briefly in the Nebraska game this year. So it's it's always fun things when the Paul Bunyan trophy is out on the line. The other Big Ten game I was mentioning is a game which I expect to see punt, 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 and maybe some turnovers, Wisconsin and Iowa. I don't expect either team to break 17 points with the way these offenses have been. Wisconsin's turned it around lately by they got 30 points last week against Purdue and they kind of did what NIU did against Bowling Green. They just refused to pass. Graham Mertz finished that game five of eight with 52 yards. And that was it for the passing performance for Wisconsin for the day. So they're going full ground committal. So I just want to see a grinded out classic big 10 football game. Might go 10 overtimes, and you can see a lower scoring game than Penn State, Illinois last week when those oh. two teams face. I tell you what, I, I don't, I, I think, I think Wisconsin and Iowa will definitely be a close game, but I got to be honest with you, Steve. I think I'd rather watch grass grow, than watch <laughs> Iowa play Wisconsin. Everybody, that, that feels like it'll be a 6 3 game. And the other thing, real quick, you know, when you said two great games on the Big Ten slate, I thought you were talking about Rutgers, Illinois, or Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but no, to be serious, though, that, that Michigan-Michigan State game, that one, that is appointment television for me. I'm really intrigued because Michigan State has looked great to me this year. And I, this game is very intriguing to me only because when you look at Michigan State's schedule, they really haven't had that tough of a slate so far. I mean – the best team, their best win is probably at Miami, and Miami has has proven to not be that good of a team anymore. I, you know, other than that, I mean, your wins you're looking at, you know, Northwestern, Nebraska, Western Kentucky. So I don't know. I'm I feel like this is a very good litmus test for them. Really curious to see uh, how Kenneth Walker matches up against that Michigan defense. Uh, for me, though. Uh, I know I talked about the Mountain West last week, but I'm, I'm going to go back this week, another late-night game. Fresno State, San Diego State, that's a really intriguing game to me. San Diego State, how about this defense? How about Brady Hoke kind of rebuilding San Diego State for the second time now? They're, they're, uh, they're, you know, they're, only, they're not even giving up 300 yards per game. Obviously got that win uh, last week at Air Force 20-14. to 14. I really like this, uh, especially on defense. I think this is a great team. Uh, I like, you know, their running back, uh, Greg Bell, I think has been really good as well. So I, I like this San Diego State team. I'm curious to see uh, how Fresno State looks going into that, going into San Diego after uh, pulling off that close victory against Nevada last week, 34-32, uh, and uh, one of those other late night Mountain West games. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree with you, though. I think that uh, that Michigan-Michigan State game and Wisconsin-Iowa as well. What about any anything else? Anything else you see that's uh, let you like on the slate this weekend? 
going to throw two more at you right now. There's one game that I'll be attending this week, which is SMU and Houston. And I think the main yeah. matchup to watch in this one is you have the team that's giving up the least sacks in college football this year. SMU's only allowed two in seven games. And Houston, which is producing the second most sacks in the country this season, they've branded themselves a sack avenue. They're getting to the quarterbacks with regularity. Their defensive line has been a force, so something's got to give in this matchup. Houston, I, I said that I, I think that they'd like to have that Texas Tech game back because I think that they're the better team than the Red Raiders, considering what you've seen out of them lately. And this game has high AAC stakes. I mean, if I think the team who wins this game might control their own destiny to the New Year Six because – if they control their own destiny, that means they would have beat Cincinnati. So mm -hmm. I think that the AAC champion, I think this game has huge AAC championship stakes and the winner is probably set for a date with Cincinnati in the first week of December. The other game I wanted to quickly touch on was I'm really intrigued by Kentucky, Mississippi state. I know there's some good sec games this week, but Kentucky, Mississippi state is really the one that catches my eye due to the stylistic clash of these teams. Kentucky is a team that doesn't really like to throw the ball as much. I mean, we've seen throughout the Stoops era that they've been a team that really likes to ground the ball. You have Cavosi Smoke, Chris Rodriguez Jr., a lot of good running backs. And you have Mississippi State with Will Rogers. They just love to air it 55 times a game. A lot of dink and dunk in Mike Leach's offense. I think this game's actually going to be in the lower scoring end, but Mississippi State's definitely a capable team of knocking off number 12 Kentucky and Starkville. So I think that's a really – and one SEC matchup I'm looking forward to, and I think it deserves better than SEC network treatment on Saturday night. I would agree with that. Yeah, I I, I always have had a soft spot for Mike Leach. I love watching Mike Leach's mm -hmm. teams. I love that air raid offense. They've been a tough team for me to figure out this year. I mean, you go back to that, you know, that loss to Memphis doesn't look great, uh, but they have some good wins as well. They almost, you know, they all, also almost lost to Louisiana Tech there in week one. So, yeah, I agree that that's an interesting one. Elsewhere in the SEC, I, I'm really looking forward to Ole Miss and Auburn. I think that'll be a great game. For my last game of the, the week, though, I, I know a couple week, weeks ago, I went way off the reservation and mentioned UTEP. I'm going to go way off the reservation here again. I, I love these Wait, teams. I'm trying to think where this is going. Well, here, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. This is a team that I, I honestly, I have barely even watched them play at all. But another team that's a great story this year out of the Sun Belt. How about Louisiana yeah. Monroe? I mean, mm -hmm. they, they're, they're, they've won their last two games. Our old Mac friend, Terry Bowden down there. He's got Rich Rodriguez as an offensive coordinator calling plays. They're taking on App State this weekend. I don't think that they win this game. But, I mean, the Warhawks, they've, they've won the last two weeks as double-digit underdogs against South Alabama. And especially that Liberty win is really, really impressive to me for Louisiana Monroe. This is a team that was winless last year. And, uh, and, and Terry Bowden and, and Rich Rod have really come in there and, and kind of turned things around. You got Chandler Rogers, a freshman quarterback who, you know, they had some injuries and he, so he's, he's been starting here the last couple of weeks. I mean, last week against South Alabama, 25 of 35, 369 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. This ULM team, I mean, obviously they're, they're still probably, you know, what do you, would probably rank them? I don't know. In the one fifteen range, one ten range I, in the country. I them in the nineties actually. In my oh, opinion. really? Okay. So yeah, I mean, they're obviously still not a great team, but I don't think anyone expected this from, from ULM to have, you know, be approaching bowl eligibility here before we even finish October. Um, I, I just, I've been impressed with what I've seen from them and I'm interested to see what they're able to do against app state. I know, like I said, I believe app state's a, a four touchdown favorite in this game. I don't expect ULM to go into Boone and win, but I I'd love to see it if they could go in and, and, and hang with the, the Mountaineers. 
And they have one of Akron's receivers from yesteryear. They have Jeremiah Knight, who now goes by the name Boogie Knight. And he's one of the <laughs> he's one of the Warhawks top receivers this year. So that's one of Terry Bowden's Akron guys producing there at ULM. So yeah, that's that's definitely a good story this year. When you said you were going off the reservation, though, I thought you were gonna pick Florida State Clemson. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little too mainstream for me. <laughs> I'd love to see how about a, how about how about uh let's see if, if ULM can get to six wins here. How about a ULM UTEP bowl game? I might be the only one in the country that would watch that, but it would Oh be- no, we'd watch it all. And ULM never even held a lead last year. Not only did they go winless they didn't hold a lead last year so that's definitely wow. a great turnaround story for terry dowden who brought akron that's first full win in program history and brought them to the mac title game in 2017 wow they didn't even hold a lead last year i didn't know that stat that that is pretty crazy but uh but anyway that'll wrap it up for us here this week folks thank you as always for tuning in uh, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the show, uh, this this episode is coming out obviously on here on Friday as usual. Next Friday, we're not going to have an episode. We'll come out on uh, we'll release on Monday of next week. Uh, I should say two Mondays from now uh, for for all of the the week eleven games on Tuesday and Wednesday that second week of November. Thank you for stopping by and listening to us as always. Uh, I am Zach Follador signing off for my co-host Steve Helwick. Thanks for stopping by, this folks. We'll talk to you next week and have a great weekend. Enjoy all the football.